And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz. And again, I'm still flying solo. Mike Miller will be back uh, soon with us. Uh, we look forward to his return. Um, just trying to hold it down while he's out. But uh, tonight we got a good program for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about Operation Save America with Pastor Darren Stid of Harmony Baptist Church. Uh, he's going to be on the program with us tonight. We're going to talk about what Operation Save America is and how we can continue the fight against abortion. Um, this is a, a battle that still is continuing on. Roe v. Roe v. Wade was a victory, but it's still a battle that is, like I said, continuing. Uh, and hopefully we will get some some information from uh, Pastor Darren on how we can continue this fight in our communities, in our states, uh, to, to continue to fight against this evil uh, in, our, in our time. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him on and waste no time. Uh, Pastor hey. Darren, welcome to the program. What's up, brother? I'm excited to have the opportunity to be with you. Yeah, glad to have you on the program with us tonight. Um, I want to go ahead and give the, the viewers an opportunity, maybe if they're they're not familiar with you, to go ahead and, and hear a little bit about yourself and your testimony, how you came to know the Lord, and then how you came to get involved with abortion ministry. Yeah, okay, um, absolutely. So well, my name is Darren Stitt. I'm a pastor of a small church in uh, northern Indiana uh, called Harmony Baptist Church in Frankfort, Indiana. Um, I've been there for about five years now, uh, married to my wife, Katrina. Uh, we've been married for 20 years, and we have nine children. Uh, and so I guess a little bit of my, my testimony, um, I came to know the Lord when I was in high school. I was, uh, I think, maybe 14, 15 years old. Um, I was sort of quasi-raised in church. Uh, my parents would come and go kind of thing when it comes to the church. And I couldn't have been more happy when we didn't go to church. But I walked the aisle, said the prayer, got baptized, all that stuff. And then um, I got sick with mono, and the Lord really used that to bring me to himself through a variety of different ways. Uh, one of them being that I went to this concert. Uh, it was a Christian concert, and somebody shared the gospel from the stage, and it, yeah. God really used that to convict me. Um, and um, I didn't get saved that evening, but it really started um, – something started stirring in me as I was watching the other Christians around me, and I was thinking to myself, you know – these people, when they say they're a Christian, they mean something different than what mm. I mean when I say I'm a Christian. And so um, over the course of the next week, I really became convicted over my sin and um, turned from my sin and came to know Jesus Christ, um, put my faith and trust in him, his death and resurrection from the dead. And um, so I became a Christian. The Lord almost immediately after that called me into ministry. And um, so I got involved in ministry almost right away. Um, went to Crossroads Bible College in Indianapolis and um, just really was trying to faithfully serve the Lord. And I had been um, serving as a, to cut some stuff out, I'd been serving as an elder at Aletheia Church on the south side of Indianapolis at that time. It was, I was one of three pastors and there's this guy in our community. Uh, his name's Brian Schrank. And uh, Brian Schrank is one of these guys who um, just gets under your skin. You know, he's a godly troublemaker. And um, he was going to the abortion clinics. I don't remember how I got to know Brian, but him and I became friends on social media. And he was pleading with pastors to join him at the abortion mill where he was going on a regular basis to minister the gospel to these women and plead with them not to murder their children. And I still remember every Friday he would go live, which Fridays were my day off. So I like he'd go live at like nine o'clock in the morning. Every Friday, I would hear the notification, go off on my phone. And it's like, ah, oh, man, that's Brian. And I look at my phone and there was Brian at the abortion mill by himself or there's maybe one other person with him. And he's just pleading with people to come join him at the abortion clinic. And uh, so I, I sort of wrote Brian off in a certain sense as an extremist, though I felt a little conviction over that. Mm. And he continued to try to minister to me and invite me to be involved. And then uh, one day I was out in my neighborhood. I was walking around the block and I was listening to. Um, a audio book by John Piper about one of the abolitionists. I can't remember which one, one of the slavery abolitionists. Mm -hmm. And Wilberforce, it was a biography about Wilberforce. And I was thinking to myself as I was listening to the biography, like, man, if I lived during the days of slavery, I'd be one of those guys. You know, I would stand up and I would do what's right and I would fight slavery. And it wasn't the audible voice or anything like that, but I felt a strong conviction from the Holy Spirit. It was like, really? You'd fight, you'd stand up and fight over slavery, but you won't go to the abortion clinic and preach the gospel to save babies. You won't get involved in the battle to end the slaughter of innocent children. 
And uh, God really sort of used that to convict me. And um, and so I, I got home uh, from that walk and I sort of got on my face before God and I just repented of my apathy. Like, man, people are slaughtering innocent children right down the street from my house. And as a Christian, I haven't been doing anything about it. I got to get involved in this fight. And so that's kind of how I got involved in the fight uh, to end abortion. And I was just right there in Indiana at the abortion clinic that was just 15 minutes from my house. I started going there on a weekly basis, multiple times a week, and just bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I also, uh, another big piece of that, I could go on and on about this, but the movie Babies Are Murdered Here uh, was a big piece as well. Through that, I also discovered Rusty Thomas and Jeff Durbin, who are still two dear friends of mine now. And um, there's a big, if you haven't seen Babies Are Murdered Here, it's free on YouTube. I encourage people to go check it out. The whole movie is patterned around a sermon preached by Rusty Thomas, mm-hmm. who was who, the previous national director of Operation Save America. And so not long after I was sort of repenting, or just right before actually, as I was sort of repenting, I saw that movie. And the Lord sort of just used all of this to bring me to a place of repentance. And uh, so I got involved in the battle to in the slaughter of the preborn, just going to the abortion clinic, pleading with women not to murder their baby, ministering the gospel to them. And uh, that's that's just kind of how I got started. Yeah. Wonder, wonderful testimony, brother. Um, just a quick, quick question, maybe um, that can be helpful to those that are listening as a pastor, as someone who realized I, I need to get out there and do this. And you mentioned you was listening to something by Piper dealing with the abolition of slavery. Mm-hmm. And why why do you think it is that there's such a disconnect because we, we think about it often. We say, man, if I was there, I would be one of them Puritans standing for truth. If I was there during the Holocaust, I would have been hiding the Jews and standing up for the rights. If I was here during slavery, I would have been part of the Underground Railroad. I would have been fighting for them. We say those things, but then there's this apathy or a disconnect, something that that keeps us from recognizing that in our own country, over 70 million babies have been slaughtered. Yeah. it's a, the, Here's what I think the disconnect is. That's a great question, by the way. Um, this is what the disconnect was for me, and I've noticed this in my conversations with a lot of people. I think, it, I think it was J.C. Ryle had a quote where he talks about how these men that we hold up as heroes in our day were hated in their time. And they faithfully served the Lord and sacrificed of themselves in their time and were considered rabble. So, you know, like if you think of the Great Awakening, right? Whitfield, Wesley, you know, these guys, Edwards, they had to preach in fields because they weren't allowed to preach in the established churches. You know, um, same thing when you think about abolition, the abolitionist movement in England. You know, um, these 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 guys that were fighting to end slavery were hated. You know, uh, what's his name that I just mentioned? My brain just went blank. Wilberforce. Wilberforce, yeah, brought a bill every year, year after year after year, to abolish the slave trade. And his even his own cohorts really disliked him. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we look back at these men and we hold them up as heroes because they ultimately won the fight, right? Mm-hmm. They ultimately were faithful, and the Lord blessed their faithfulness, and therefore we look back at them now and they're sort of held up as heroes. And but but we don't look at the struggle they went through. We don't look at the hatred that they went through or the fact that they were disdained by the political or religious establishment. And that's sort of the reality today. People love a Whitfield or a Wesley. They 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 love a you know fill in the blank with whoever your favorite reformer was, a Luther. But what they don't love is the reality that those men had to go through not mm. being favored highly among other men as they were fighting for reform reformation and revival they don't like the the disdain and the hatred that was put on those men by the political and religious establishments for the fight that they were fighting and so they want to hold those guys up but they're not willing to sacrifice of themselves to mm. fight the battles today. So they got a great bunch of books on their bookshelves. I'm talking to, re- I'm a reformed pastor. So I talked to right. reformed pastors for a minute, you know, they got, you know, Owen and Edwards and, you know, they got all these guys on their bookshelves, Spurgeon, you know, Spurgeon fighting in the downgrade controversy. They got books by all these guys that were willing to stir up controversy and cause trouble and didn't care about the praise of man, but wanted to do what was right. According to the law of God, they have their books on their bookshelves and we all get excited about that. Mm. until it comes time for us to make a personal sacrifice, to make a stand. And that's really what OSA is all about, is really encouraging Christians and mobilizing Christians to, yes, read the books, 
but let's get the salt out of the salt shaker. There's a battle in our day. There's an injustice in our day. There's an evil in our day. It's bringing great bloodshed and the judgment of God upon our nation. And we need the church to rise up. It's not just enough to hail those old men, those those dead men as heroes, much as we are grateful for them. Now is our time. We live now. So now is our time to rise up and to, and to engage in the battle. Yeah. Um, and when I think about this, and, and you said uh, th this guy, I can't remember what you said this guy's name was that was out there at the abortion mill. Um, and when we say mill, you're talking about an abortion center, like Planned Parenthood, somewhere where abortions are taking place. Um, but one of the things, because I've done street ministry for a very long time, open air preaching on the streets, going to sporting events, college campuses. For me, the hardest place to go minister was at the abortion clinic, was at the abortion uh, mill, right? Um, it's just such a dark place. And you know that you only have a short time, you only have a short distance, depending on the location yeah. of the uh, abortion mill, to reach out to these mothers who are going in to end the life of their child. Um, you think maybe that is also another reason why maybe people, because it, it, it comes across and it's depicted in, uh, there was that movie a couple years ago. I didn't watch the movie. Um, but it was with a Catholic lady uh, unplanned, unplanned, unplanned where they had this picture of the, the people that were sidewalk counselors or people that were out there as Christians, like they're bad. They're depicted as these, you know, crazy people. Right. Yeah. So you think maybe that's also some of the reason why, um, something like that is looked down upon. Yeah, I do. I think there's a couple different things to think about when it comes to that. One is that when you're when you're involved in this battle, you're on the front end of the spiritual battle that's happening in our nation right now. These abortion mills, I call them abortion mills. They're, they're abortion clinics, but we don't mm -hmm. use the word clinic because that sort of sanitizes what's happening right, there. Right. So these abortion mills are modern day authors of Moloch. People are taking their children and they're sacrificing their children there. Um, and the reality is we call them modern day altar, altars of Moloch because there is witchcraft and paganism and demon worship wrapped up in the slaughter of innocent children. And this is not propaganda. It's known that there, there's this, there is this pagan religious undertone to um, abortion. If you get involved in the fight, you're going to see it. You'll probably meet your first real witch. If you mm -hmm. get involved in the fight in abortion, you'll meet your first real warlock. They will cast a spell on you. They will try to hex you. They will do sexually promiscuous things in front of you. They will do everything they can to knock you off path. You will face steep, dark, difficult, spiritual oppression. And you'll also see the gospel of Jesus Christ be victorious. You'll see babies saved. You'll see women and, and mothers and fathers turn from their sin, find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But yeah, it's hard. It's a slugfest. You're on the front lines of the spiritual battle. And so that's part of it. Part of it is the perception that you're talking about, like, oh, man, those guys are nutcases. I mean, I had a guy in my own church tell me, and not unsurprisingly, he doesn't go to my church anymore now. But I had a guy in my own church tell me, he's like, oh, you guys are nuts, you know, standing out there screaming at women. It's like, if you just came for a half an right, hour, right. you would see that that's not what we're doing. We're not standing out there screaming at women. We have, you know, seven seconds between when they get out of the car and when they go into the door of the abortion mill, and what we have to do is call out and say something to them that gets their attention and gets them to come over and let us talk to them. And so, yes, people do. There is the disdain of seeing that it's crazy. And then the third thing, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. A lot of guys like me tend to not mention this last aspect, but some of that is self-inflicted. Because every now and then there are Christians out there and, and there are some, I don't, I say every now and then, but there are, you know, if you were part of Herald Society, this is stuff you were standing against before I was, that there are these people that go out there and they're just insulting and demeaning and antagonistic and they call names and they preach law, but they never get the gospel. Right. You know, is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And we have to, we have to be guys like you and I, who see that problem, we have to rise up and confront those people and say, no, no, that's not what we do when we're out there. And so then we sort of, if we don't do that, then we sort of leave room open for our critics to criticize and attack us. And so what we have to do when we go out there is preach gospel. Yes, we call sin, sin. Yes, we use sometimes graphic abortion signs to be clear about what's happening out there. Yes, we're clear that this is murder. 
But we're also clear there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's hope. We are here to help you and, and so forth. And so when people actually come out, though, this has been my experience. So I'll tell you this story real quick. We just had a, an abortion mill outreach with G3, uh, which was great. Um, Virgil Walker and um, Josh Bice mm-hmm. were a tremendous blessing to us. They invited us to come and to do our do an, an abortion outreach as a part of their event. Mm-hmm. And we had 100 people show up, which a lot of people look at that and they say, oh, 8,600 people and 100 show up to the abortion clinic. But I'm okay with that. Like, right. I'm okay with that. I would have loved to see more, but I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. A, because the planning was a little bit late on our part. But then B, because so we had Jeff Durbin there. We had um, Luke Pearson there. We had Bradley Pierce, who's part of um, the Foundation to Abolish Abortion. All these guys, Apologia, you should look into their ministry if you're new to this. Uh, Foundation to Abolish Abortion. Those are all good brothers. We're all speaking at this. And I stood up at one point because I was emceeing. And I said, raise your hand if this is your first time at an abortion clinic. And 50 people raised their hand, 50 out of the hundred. That was their first time ministering the gospel outside of the abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. That made it a success in my mind. That was a huge blessing. But as I was standing there talking to some of those 50 people after the event was over, three or four of them were like, my mind was blown seeing you guys Mm -hmm. out here today. And I thought people come out here and they yell and they're mean and they're condemning. And I watched the way that you are loving and gracious and gentle as you interact with these women and you preach the gospel to them. And so I just tell people when they say that sort of thing, listen, Come out and join us. Come see what we do for yourself, and you're going to see there's a stereotype and there's the reality, and the reality is very different than the stereotype. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I would add to that is sometimes we do have to check ourselves because it is such a demonic place that it can get you to start to respond in the flesh. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to be that guy that is preaching all law and no grace right? You're there. Yes, it's murder. Yes, these mothers are going in and ending the life of their child. That's what's happened. That's the reality. But you're there to love them with the truth and to see that child saved and ultimately that individual come to faith. Um, There was out at the one here in our area. I'm in Ohio, Northeast Ohio. We have preterm. And there are some guys that are out and I'm very thankful that they're there because there are some times where not many of us can get out there. And so there's always a presence there. Yeah. Um, but one of these guys that's been out there for maybe 20 years, um, he has developed this hard heartedness towards the death scorts and whatnot. And they can be some vile, vicious individuals. Oh, and like yeah, you said, right, many, yeah. many, some of them can yeah. be witches. We've had them come and just bring a, a, a cowbell the entire time mm-hmm. you're trying to preach the gospel yeah. just to, uh, you yeah. know, drown you out. Um, right. But one time I was trying to speak to one of these death scorts and I kept seeing, they were looking, they were hearing me, but yeah. I, and I kept trying, but they were trying to avoid it, annoy, but you could see on this person's face, they were listening to some degree, trying to play it off, but to listening. And this guy said to me, he said, you don't need to preach the gospel to them. Their hearts are too hard. And this was a pastor. And I thought to myself, but isn't that the point? Like the gospel breaks hard hearts. You know, he wasn't reformed. um, So that that maybe tends to lean into some of that, but, but um, what about that? Because it can be a place that is very, as, as we, we've mentioned already, it's demonic, it's evil. And yeah. it can get, I've cried more doing street ministry at the abortion center when I left than yeah. when I've been out at other places. Like, it, yeah, there's no, like I mean, this, this, you, you feel it. Yeah. You know? It's heavy. You feel the weight. Like I, I'll even like get into my car sometimes after I've been at the abortion mill and like your legs are tired. Like you're, you've only been out there for an hour, two hours, whatever. You're tired. You feel this weight wear on you the whole time you're there because there's just this immense spiritual darkness on the other side of that door. They're murdering innocent children. And there is, and and it does wear on you. And I, I can think of times that I've had to do that. You know, there was one time I was in an abortion clinic here in Indiana and as a giant Planned Parenthood and this Planned Parenthood is like a fortress. There's a row of trees in front of it and the door to talk to the door that the women go in is like, 200 yards from where you're standing. So you really have to be able to have a set of lungs and, you know, call out. And there were pro boards there this day for, for operation save America. We have a certain group of pro boards that follow us all around the country. They're probably actually watching this right now, or if they're not watching it, they'll be watching it and they'll do their own little podcast about it. So, Mm. um, to the, uh, 
ladies at the i can't think of what their name is now they keep changing it but you know who you are dorinda bless you i'm still praying for your salvation um but we were at one of these abortion mills and it was one of these ladies that follows around the country and she just said something that was just mean and you know hateful and i just had a knee-jerk reaction and i just said something very hateful back to her and i was immediately convicted by the holy spirit like um because I have this propensity to snap back. Sometimes the words get out before they get sanctified. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, the Lord just convicted me in that moment. She can do that. She's lost. She's a pagan. She's trying to get you to do that so that she has some excuse not to listen to you. And so God saves sinners, man. I mean, he saves sinners. Amen. He saves hardened, reprobates who are rebelling against him in their heart in every possible way that they can. And God, by the tremendous grace and mercy that he bestows upon us, reaches down and grabs a hold of the heart of that person and turns them from their sin and turns them to eternal life by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And since I know that God does that, since I believe that, that says something about the posture that I have to have toward the people mm -hmm. that I'm interacting with when I'm out there. They can be hardened. I can't be hardened. I have to be, you know, that doesn't ever mean that I don't issue a strong rebuke to somebody right, who's trying right. to bring harm to somebody that's out there or something like that. There's a place for that as well. Mm -hmm. But we're minister. We're ministers of the gospel. We're representatives of Jesus Christ. And that's very important for us too. We, and it's the same thing when you street preach anywhere. Right, right. But it's especially true when you're at the abortion clinic because you're spiritually tired. You're wore out. These people are, they're literally trying to get you to say or do something. They're going to get it on video and spread it all over the internet. And if you do, okay, you apologize, you right. repent, and you keep going back. I've, the reason I say that last part there, I just want to say this. I've had people listen to what I you just said and then what I just said and say, that's the reason I could never go out there because I know mm -hmm. I would say something or do something I would regret later. And my answer back to that is you will, and there's grace for that. You are going to say something that's the wrong thing. You are probably going to do something that's the wrong thing. You strive not to, but you're being sanctified as a Christian right. by the power of the gospel. When you do, you confess your sin and you repent. But that's no reason not to do what God has called us to do. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think regardless, if we're being honest, of the location, being at an abortion mill, we do that as Christians in our lives. Yeah. So, right. And that's still the call. Uh, we recognize right. we've sinned against uh, another, against the Lord, and we repent, you know, and we, we yeah. seek to make that reconciliation or make that right. Um, right. Now, yeah. when we we talk about Operation Save America, one of the things you mentioned, the Babies Are Murdered Here um, movies, there's, there's two of them out there. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the pro-life maybe a little later. Um, but I know there is also uh, uh, the 180 that that Ray Comfort did was kind of like this primer, so to speak, getting people's yeah. mind towards this issue of abortion. Because, again, in America, we have been apathetic to it um, yeah. very much so. So you have this babies are murdered here. Then you have the, the part two that came out, a second documentary. Um, you've got these different groups that have, have been rising up over the years to fight against abortion. Uh, you mentioned Jeff Durbin and them with End Abortion Now, really trying to connect it to the local churches to get them involved. How big of a, a of an importance would you say that is that this is not just Lone Ranger individual Christians, but that this is a movement of the church of God through local churches? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the really encouraging things that's been happening in this movement over the last five or six years is that there are these godly pastors that have arisen. And there was a long time where there were no pastors or hardly any pastors involved in this battle. There were a few. Um, and Pastor Rusty, since you know him, you know, he'll tell you the stories. You know, they'd come to town and you could hardly get a pastor to support the work that they were doing. And so there are godly men in this battle. And one of the distinctives of our movement is that we believe that the church needs to be at the forefront of the battle. And when I say the church, I'm talking evangelical Christians who have the gospel need to be at the forefront of this battle. And there are a myriad of godly men. And, and you know, I talked about Jeff Durbin. You know, we talked about Rusty Thomas. Jason Storms is National Director of Operation Save America. He's a pastor. Matt Urella, the pastor of Mercy Seat Church, is heavily involved. He wrote the book, The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates, which I would strongly encourage everybody to read. 
Um, you know, Dusty Devers and Brett Baggett have rescued those. They're Reformed Baptist pastors in Oklahoma. Brandon Scalp's a Reformed Baptist pastor in Oklahoma. I mean, I could go on and on about some of these godly men that God has raised up. Bill Askell, uh, Tom Askell's brother, mm-hmm. is a pastor in Oklahoma and it's been such a tremendous encouragement um, to the work. And, um, you know, Tom has also gotten Tom Askell from Founders Ministry has gotten heavily involved. Josh Bice and the guys mm-hmm. at G3 have been doing amazing work on promoting uh, the different aspects of what we're doing there in Georgia. And it's I sit back now and I'm just blown. My socks are blown off when I see mm-hmm. God raise up these pastors. Ken Ham has been uh, getting involved more and more as of late. The guys out in Moscow, even though they don't completely agree with us, Doug Wilson, those guys have been getting involved. Um, in the fight to end abortion, even though they would be willing to compromise in some places we wouldn't. I want to make that mm-hmm. distinction. But it's just amazing. God is raising up the church right now to fight this battle. But if you're listening to this right now and you're a Christian, you're a pastor, we need you in this fight. We need all hands on deck. Um, and that includes, we've talked a lot about the abortion mill. but So we fight the battle, I'll just say this, we fight the battle on three fronts. We fight it at the abortion mill. We fight it in the culture, and we fight it at the political at the gate, the political gate, where we're trying to change legislation. And uh, OSA is about all three of those. And so this is what OSA is about. OSA is about mobilizing the Church of Jesus Christ to get to the streets with the gospel of the kingdom. That's in front of abortion clinics. That's out on the sidewalks. That's also in the culture where we hold these graphic signs. Mm-hmm. And show people this is what abortion is all about, and we're preaching the gospel. So o- OSA is a mobile a gospel of the kingdom mobilizing ministry. That's what we're all about. And so um, we're if you're listening right now, you're a Christian, you're a pastor, you haven't gotten to this fight, it's not too late. Come repent with us. I want you to come join the battle with us because we desperately need your help right now. We need all hands on deck. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you mentioned that going to the abortion mill, is what people see often people standing there with signs preaching um regardless of how they may view it as people just you know screaming at them or what they're doing there that's that's uh a a um something that people see when they're driving by they'll see people's presence there um and then you said in the culture so what are ways in which people can address it in the culture you know, other than just going to abortion mills, I know maybe standing somewhere with a sign, some, you know, but what are some other ways that we can, um, those who are listening, get involved to not just going out to the abortion mill? Because some people may not have the time to do that based upon their jobs, but there are ways to, again, as you said, to fight this. Um, and so what are maybe some some examples you could give that somebody listening could say, hey, I can do that? Yeah. So let me just give a few examples. One is, so one of the things we do is we have churches all over the country that do these things called tour stops. They do them once a month on a Saturday. They'll pick an intersection and they'll show up with signs and literature and they'll fan out and they'll just engage and talk to people that are going by. It's just once a month. Um, And so if you're listening and you're a pastor or you'd be willing to talk to your pastor about doing a tour stop in your community, reach out to me, uh, info at operationsaveamerica.com. Um, and let me know you want to do that. And Jason and I would be happy to get you the resources that you need. And perhaps even if the schedule works out, show up and help show you how to do it. Uh, and so that would be one way. But other ways are just things like um, sharing. the the. So you talked about documentaries earlier. This is a great example. The Babies Are Murdered Here documentary is free on mm. YouTube. Babies Are Murdered Here too is free on YouTube. There's another great documentary that our friends at Choice for Two pub, uh, produced um, and it's called uh, The Procedure. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we've been doing is we've been encouraging Christians to have a showing of that movie at their church and just invite everybody to come and show. I don't know if you've seen The Procedure or not yet. Yeah. It's yeah. very difficult to watch because it goes through what happens in an actual abortion. These So Babies Are Murdered Here does that. Babies Are Murdered Here 2 hits on that even harder. It deals with the babies are murdered here too, deals with the political aspect of the fight. And then the procedure just deals directly with abortion. Getting people to watch these videos, these movies, God has really used to raise to to get people engaged in the battle. That's something that people can do. Mm-hmm. Wearing t-shirts. You mentioned wearing t-shirts. You know, wearing t-shirts to have a message on them. You know, my this is no SH OSA shirt. This is our logo here. Let's see. I'm backwards. Other side, yeah. This is our logo. You're probably pointing at the right side, but backwards. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I'm, I'm dyslexic anyway, so 
but uh, this is our logo here. Jesus is the standard on the back of this shirt. Is it's got a a strong um, anti-abortion message. It's got a strong abolitionist message. And uh, so wearing T-shirts, buying good gear, wearing T-shirts, um, that's also helpful. Um, also, we need people involved in the political fight, which is being willing to send emails and make phone calls to your state legislator when we have a bill in your state. There's a big political fight happening in your state, uh, Ricky, right now in mm -hmm. Ohio. We're getting ready. Operation Save America is going to be in Ohio for the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. Uh, we're grateful for those guys. They've invited us to host an abortion mill outreach during their event. I, I, I couldn't possibly love uh, those brothers, um, Gabe Wrench and, and Chuck Knox and, and um, uh, Pastor Toby. Those are good brothers. We love them and appreciate them. They opened the door for us to be able to go out and do an abortion mill outreach as a part of their event. So that's going to be in Ohio. If you see something like that, that's prime time to come because you're coming when there's a bunch of people there that know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but in Ohio right now, there's a big fight happening because there's this whole referendum piece right. that with the potential constitutional amendment on abortion. Every Christian in Ohio should be involved in that battle. Every mm -hmm. Christian should be using whatever platform that they have available at their disposal to get the message out there. Vote no on this referendum. Right. And anybody can do that. You can make a post on social media. There's places that have memes that they're making for you to share and all of that sort of thing. So those are just things, just part of your everyday life. Just make it part of your everyday life um, to have these discussions. And um, other thing, one other thing I would say that often gets left off is we're talking about cultural engagement and all that. This is one of the things OSA is really about, though. As you're fighting the battle in the culture, don't forget to raise your own children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach your children to have a biblical worldview. And we have raised our children on the front lines of this battle. Nobody will ever be able to lie to my children about what feminism is. They've mm -hmm. seen it with their own eyes. And so I would say in addition to you engaging in the battle, I would strongly encourage you to get your children on the front lines of this battle as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely um, an eye-opener for sure. I know um, – when we first started going out to the abortion mill here in Cleveland, um, and then we was able to encourage quite a few people from one of the local churches in, in our area to come out with us, that was an eye-opener for them. And it took some time for them, um, and I think there's still probably some of them today that go out there, but they have a hard time calling it murder. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it, it was an eye-opener for them. You know, it, this is... Yeah. It's not a pleasant sight when you go out there, as you said. There's, we've already mentioned. There's, there's the the evil that's there. You have these uh, um, uh, um, escorts that are escorting yeah. people in. They're trying to stop them and prevent them from hearing you yeah. or listening to you. If if you give any pamphlets out, they're taking them away and throwing them in the trash when they go inside. They don't want yeah. them hearing or receiving anything from you. Um, yeah. So it is a spiritual battle. And, yeah. um, but like you said, when people get out there, they see it, it's eye opening, you know, yeah. I, I take it to like, um, for example, not at the abortion mill, but the first time I was, uh, open air preaching, I went with sports fan outreach to the Kentucky Derby and yeah. I was with guys. Bobby McCreary was my team leader at that time. And I had a desire to preach. I'd shared the gospel and handed out tracts, but I I'd never got the courage up to do that. And yeah. when I was there. I knew people reading the Bible hated God. I knew yeah. that this is what it says, but it came so became so real to me watching yeah. it. I, I cried like I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, these people really hate Christians. Ultimately, yeah. they hate Christ. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. at this That's abortion right. mill, these people hate life. I yeah. mean, and they have all of these excuses as to justify the murdering of their own child. You know, yeah, well, I mean, that's what the scripture says, right? I can't think of the verse, but you know, God says, "All who hate me love death." Mm. You know, that is the reality. And you see that you see that at the abortion clinic. You also see it at the Kentucky Derby. You know, as you engage in conversations with people and so forth. And you're absolutely right. And you're like the big the the biggest on ramp into this fight is the abortion mill. If we can get somebody to show up at the abortion mill usually it's much easier to get them involved in the political fight mm -hmm. because when they haven't been to the abortion mill, it's harder for them to see what we're fighting so hard for. It's like a perfect example of this. There's a myth right now that abortion has been criminalized in 20 states, that it's illegal in 20 states. 
That's a lie. And if you go to in most of those states, abortion mills are still open, killing children. In Ohio, a lot of people think abortion is illegal because there's a heartbeat bill there. But you know, because you go to the abortion clinic, it's not illegal. And even if they do get that abortion bill to close, in every state in the United States of America right now, women are able to murder their child with impunity from the comfort of their own home through abortion pills. When we get people to show up at the abortion mill and they see what's happening there, it raises the stakes because it helps them to see what's going on here. When you know, when, when you're standing there holding the sign, you don't, let's say you don't even preach. You're standing holding the sign and you're praying and you see that woman get out of the car. And you see the sidewalk counselor begin to call out to that woman, ma'am, come talk to us. Let us help you. We'll help you. Please, ma'am, don't let them hurt. Her, don't let them murder your baby. Please, ma'am, don't let them hurt your baby. Come talk to us. We'll help you. You hear them. You hear the sidewalk counselor calling out and you see that woman come to that door and you see her open that door and you watch her walk into that door and the door closes behind her and you know. What she's doing inside that building is going to rip the arms and legs off of a little innocent human being that's created in the image of God. You know, you see that, you hear that exchange, you watch that happening. Something awakens inside of a person hmm. when you go through that. And I haven't found anything that awakens a person in the same way that being at an abortion mill and actually seeing that happen does and that's why osa puts such a high priority on getting people to show up at abortion clinics because that is the on-ramp to this fight for so many people and so um you know that I, i'm trying to remember the question you asked or the statement you made that no no no, no that's that's good and i think too when we think about this um often the women that are going in there by the society that the way that they want to have us view them as as their victims and yeah. th there are some individuals yeah. that we've seen young teenagers being brought there by their grandmother or their mother and they really didn't have a choice there are there are some but the majority yeah. of the women that are going in they know exactly what they're doing you know yeah. offering to adopt their child and they say no i'd rather end this child's life than let you raise my child they know yeah. it's a child like but there is this the way that the culture wants to try to make it seem like these women are just victims, but that's something you see that you can't unsee when you're there, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you what that is. That's another thing. I mean, going to the abortion mill blows up that whole narrative. I mean, you see, because there's the, there's the, the thing that women that have abortions are poor and you mm -hmm. see women pulling up in escalates. Yeah. Having uh, abortions. There's the idea that women that have abortions are victims and you have conversations with women outside the abortion clinic and they'll tell you, I know I'm murdering my baby. This is my fourth abortion. And if I get pregnant again, I'm going to murder my baby again. And we have when people interact with us, we have more of those interactions than not. Is there the woman that's in tears and broken and really doesn't want to do it? Yes. And she's maybe one out of every 20 in my experience. Mm -hmm. Now, so these women are not victims. Women are not stupid. God has written his law. That's one of the biggest problems with the second victim narrative that's so popular in the pro-life movement right now. The reason that people believe in the second victim narrative is because we have taught them to believe that narrative. We've taught them to think that women are victims. But you go to the abortion clinic, these women, you have conversations with these women, you see these women are not victims. They are not stupid. That's a very demeaning, low view of women to, to even present that idea. Right. These women know what they're doing. The law of God has been written on their heart. They know that the decision that they're making to murder their child is going to end the life of an innocent human being. They know. And you just have conversations with them. You see that. You, they know what they're doing. Now, there are women who their situation meets the legal definition of coercion, which is they literally had no other option. They were forced in the abortion mm -hmm. clinic and abortion and an abortion was performed on them. Nobody, everybody agrees that woman is a victim. I agree that woman is a victim. She shouldn't be prosecuted for murder in that case. But the overwhelming majority, 99 point whatever percent you want to put on there, right, right. these women know what they're doing. And this is very important. I'm glad you brought it up because the whole argument, the whole argument right now actually hinges on this point of the second victim narrative because in states like texas indiana and states like um 
Alabama and states like, you know, these are the states, the states I'm mentioning here, these are the states where the abortion clinics are closed. And people think, oh, praise the Lord. Abortion is finally ended in Indiana. That's where I'm at. It's mm -hmm. finally ended in Texas. And the reality is nationally, the abortion numbers are going up, not down. Because now these women can just go on the internet and they can order abortion pills. Merrick Kaiser, a young man here in Indiana, he just went on the internet and ordered abortion pills and got them three days later. He didn't have to give his wow. ID, anything like that. It didn't cost him anything. They were sent to him for free. He wanted to see how easy it was. He went online and he ordered abortion pills for free and they were sent to his house. No questions asked. So now we don't even have the ability to call out to these women right. in Indiana, Texas, Alabama anymore. We've lost that opportunity. Now they're able to kill their baby with impunity in the comfort of their own home. And we don't even have the last ditch effort to save their baby. That's why this second victim narrative is so important. Abortion will never be done away with or abolished or criminal in America until every party that's involved faces at least potential prosecution for the murder of that baby. This, the second victim narrative has got to go. Mm -hmm. It's a key part. It's a key linchpin in the argument that's keeping abortion illegal. And it's not coming from the pro aborts. It's coming from the pro lifers in right. every state, Louisiana last year, year before last, I think it was year before last might've been last year. It all runs together for me. We had an opportunity to pass a, a legitimate equal protection law that would have treated the preborn like every other human being in Louisiana. It made it out of committee to the floor of the house. And when it made it out of the committee to the floor of the house, the entire pro-life industry, the leaders of the whole pro-life industry nationally signed a letter and sent it to the legislators in, in uh, Louisiana telling them, we do not support any legislation that criminalizes the mother, which, by the way, that's just a piece of rhetoric. We mm -hmm. don't believe in criminalizing the mother. We just criminalized the act is criminalized, criminalized abortion. And it was not Planned Parenthood that kept abortion illegal in Louisiana. It wasn't the pro-abortion movement that kept abortion illegal in Indiana. It was the pro or not Indiana, Louisiana. I'm sorry. It wasn't the pro-abortion movement that kept abortion illegal in Louisiana. It was the pro-life movement that kept abortion mm -hmm. legal in Indiana. And it all hinges on the second woman victim narrative. And I'm glad you gave me an opportunity to talk about that because we have to address that. We have to blow that up. We're never going to end abortion as long as we allow women to murder their babies with impunity. Yeah. I think this is why it's important to have these conversations with your pastor, have these conversations with people within yeah. your church that aren't aware. Because a lot of times people say, no, I'm against abortion. And they genuinely are against abortion. Yeah. But they think that their way of, of helping this fight is they're sending their money to these pro-life, you know, movements like in Ohio, we have the Ohio right to life, uh, who just yeah. recently fired, um, one of their, uh, individuals for posting the gospel online, right? Yeah. The gospel is not the central, it's not the central yeah. focus of them. Yeah. Yeah. The pro-life movement, especially, so when you say the pro-life movement, right, there's the rank and file pro-life people that really, like you're talking about, they really think the pro-life industry is trying to end abortion. And a big part of our ministry is having conversations with those people and just saying, Hey, look, this is what the pro-life industry is doing. Ohio right to life is one of the worst, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, of all, there's a lot of bad pro-life, state-level pro-life organizations out there, but Ohio Right to Life has repeatedly proven to be really, really, really bad. And uh, they fired a Christian for posting the gospel online. That's a perfect example. She was becoming more and more in our camp, it sounds like. I don't really know her, but mm -hmm. it sounds like based on some tweets that I read that she was becoming more and more in our camp, and they were getting more and more uncomfortable with her. But that does speak to an important issue, which is that one of the distinctions between the pro-life establishment and the work that we're trying to do at Operation Save America, Foundation to Abolish Abortion, End Abortion Now, and so on and so forth, Action for Life, the work that we're trying to do is we want the gospel to be front and center in the discussion. Amen. And a lot of times the pro-life movement doesn't want the gospel to be part of the conversation because they're trying to build this big tent. That's also mm -hmm. what the pro that's also what the second victim narrative is about. And we're saying, no, the gospel has to be front and center. You can't rob a woman of the opportunity to hear that the sin of murdering her baby can be forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and then call yourself a Christian. 
the gospel has to be at the center of everything that we do. That's a big piece of who we are. What OSA and these other groups that were organ uh, Love Life would be another one. These other groups that we're working alongside um, are all about. The gospel's got to stay at the center. And um, people are sending these money, their money to these pro-life organizations because they believe that they're actually fighting this battle. But they're stripping the gospel out of the conversation, and they're trying to pass laws that establish unequal weights and measures by allowing women to murder their babies with impunity. And we just, as Christians, it's time for us to rise up and stop letting that happen. Yeah, amen. I know um, one of the the big arguments over the years, and maybe even further back, still continues to today, um, is the idea of incrementalism versus immediatism. If I'm saying yeah. that, that correctly. Yeah. Um, so how how do we navigate through this as wanting to see it end now, but knowing that this is a long haul fight? How yeah, do we so how do we navigate through that? We're also real quick, like with the political aspect, because sometimes you yeah. get because conservative doesn't mean Christian. So you can have yeah. conservative yeah. Republican candidates that claim that they're against these things, claim to have Christian values and then turn out <laughs> they don't. So how do we navigate that by still fighting it and trying to see some life saved, but yet ultimately seeking for the end of it? Yeah. So unfortunately, like we're stuck with the word incrementalism. It was given to us. A lot of us don't like it. I, I, so I don't like to discuss the whole thing in terms of incrementalism versus immediatism, but we're kind of stuck with that word. Incrementalism, as is often the case with most isms, the problem is in the, the ism, right? incrementalism increments we all admit that we're fighting we have to fight incrementally to win mm -hmm. you know if you get an abortion ban in ohio okay you still got to get it in indiana and texas and so on and so forth and so in some sense that's an increment but that's not incrementalism incrementalism is a, a political strategy wherein you slowly bring about reform by degrees and we're we are as a as a general principle we are opposed we are opposed to incrementalism we are immediatist which means that we believe that christians ought to advocate for the immediate abolition of abortion right now without exception or compromise we're not trying to take little steps we're not trying to win by degrees but immediatism is not what we call like overnightism in other words um just because we're saying we want to end it immediately doesn't mean that we don't recognize that steps are going to be required in order to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. So the way I like to talk about it, we have to talk about that because those are the terms and we can't just ignore that mm -hmm. because that's part of the discussion. So having established all of that, the way that I like to talk about it is that what, what I would say is we should look at the law and word of God and we should we should only do just things according to the scripture and we should not do things that are unjust according to the scripture. We should only remove iniquities from the law. We should never add iniquities to the law. We should only add justice to the law. We should never add iniquity to the law. And that's the way that's the way that I actually prefer to talk about it, because now we're talking in biblical categories. Mm -hmm. The Bible talks about justice and it talks about iniquity. We should always seek to remove iniquity and we should always seek to establish justice. Is that probably going to happen progressively? And maybe there's going to be increments involved. Sure, that's the reality of the world in which we live. But what we should be calling for as Christians is God's standard of justice, which is immediately criminalizing abortion, establishing equal justice and equal protection on behalf of the preborn right now with no exceptions or compromise. Yeah. Do you think that some of the pro-life bills that have been passed have hindered the progress from the, the point of where um, Roe v. Wade was overturned and now maybe because of some of the laws that have been put in place because of these pro-life movements that's hindered it from ending in those states? Yeah. So I would say like examples. So to go back to what I said about um, adding iniquities versus removing iniquities, one of the biggest problems with pro-life laws is that they often add iniquities. They spell out when, where, and how it's okay to kill a baby. That's what the heartbeat bill does. One of the biggest problems with Christians when it comes to some of these laws is they never actually read the law. If they went and actually read the law, which I'm, I understand most Christians aren't going to just sit around and read legislation. And I get that. Mm -hmm. But if you went and actually, especially Christian leaders, you went and read the law and you saw in the heartbeat bill in Ohio that it specifically spells out, it tells the abortionist how to kill the baby. It tells them how they're allowed to kill the baby. 
And so that's adding an iniquity to the law, saying that that the abortionist has to look for a heartbeat, and if they can't find one, then it's okay to kill the baby. That's adding an iniquity to the law. And let's be honest, an abortion, an abortionist is looking for a heartbeat like a bank robber is looking for a police officer, right? right? Right. They're not trying to find a heartbeat. They're getting their entire um, financial well-being depends upon them mm-hmm. not finding a heartbeat, right? So these some of these pro-life laws, that there's two problems with them. One is they add iniquities. Rather than removing iniquities, they add iniquities. That's deeply problematic. The second problem is that they they progress they persistently um, they persistently have the face of having victory without really ever accomplishing any victory at all. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the abortion numbers in Ohio. Look at the abortion numbers in Indiana. They just passed the bill that would close the um, the abortion clinics. Um, and then there was a whole court fight and so forth. But before that happened, right before Roe was overturned, the abortion numbers, Indiana was a pro-life state and the abortion numbers are going up and up and up and up. Why is that? Well, because when you regulate when, where and how it's OK to kill a baby, mm-hmm. people just know what is it. So what does the law teach them? The law is a teacher. If the law says when, where and how is OK to kill a baby, what is it teaching people? It's teaching them when, where and how it's right. OK to kill a baby. This is what happens when you treat abortion like healthcare, as my friend Kelly likes to say. We don't tr- we we shouldn't treat abortion like healthcare. This is the problem with pro-life laws. Instead, mm-hmm. we should deal with abortion under the murder statute. We should treat it like murder. And the legislation with regard to abortion should be under the murder. It should be under the murder statute. One of the things we have to do, and this is very confusing for people, but one of the things we have to do with all of our bills, Bradley Pierce, our constitutional attorney, when he writes a bill. One of the things he has to do is he has to go back in every state and he has to remove all the pro-life legislation from the statute, from the code. He's got to go through and remove all the pro-life legislation from the code because the pro-life legislation establishes when, where, and how it's okay to kill a baby. And if we want to say you're no longer allowed to kill a baby because it's murder, you got to go take all that pro-life language out of the statute. Mm -hmm. So it's deeply, deeply problematic and it's a deeply, deeply flawed system and it's just time for Christians to start bring, uh, thinking biblically about this stuff. Yeah, Amen, brother. Amen. Now, we got about uh, seven minutes or so left in the program. So is there anything that maybe you would want to, to hit on that we haven't covered? And then also, if, if there's a little bit of time, maybe you could share maybe some of the, the biggest arguments that Christians may get when trying to speak to their neighbor about the, the evil of abortion uh, and, and how we can maybe best respond to some of these arguments that are out there. Yeah, well, I think it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you having me on. I think we've uh, hit a lot. Uh, we've, we've covered a lot of ground <laughs> over the course of the discussion. Um, I think uh, in particular in Ohio, I don't know where your audience predominantly is. If it's predominantly in Ohio, one thing I just really would press on the people is you need to be in this fight in Ohio right now. Mm-hmm. Like every Christian should be engaged in this fight to vote no on this um, issue that's coming up. I don't remember what it's called now. All of a sudden, it's a, a constitutional amendment. Yeah. They need to vote no on that question, and the language needs to be very simple: don't kill babies. Vote no on this particular um, mm-hmm. piece of le- or not piece of legislation, whatever it is. I can't think of what it is now. Um, but vote no. That's the big thing, right? So right, that's right. one thing I would want to say in particular to your Ohio audience. Every Christian should be involved in that. You should be using your social media channels to discuss that and having conversations with your friends, even people that are pro-life that are not very much involved in politics. We need to mobilize those people to show up to the polls on November the 7th. And we need to tell them vote no on that particular referendum, vote no on that referendum. So I I just want to take a quick minute and say that. Um, As far as arguments go, um, it depends. So we get arguments from Christians and from non-Christians. We've talked actually a lot about some of the pushback we get from Christians, you know, things like about prosecuting the mother and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But when we're on the streets and we're ministering the gospel and we're interacting with unbelievers, probably the biggest argument we get is what about rape and incest? Mm-hmm. That's like the number one argument. What what about the what about rape and incest? And I like to deal with that argument in a couple different ways. Um, the first thing I like to do is expose the fact that it's a smokescreen. Mm-hmm. These people don't care about rape and incest. Um, They really don't. They are trying to appear as though they care because they're making an emotional appeal. 
this is an emotional argument and they're trying to stir the emotions and they want to make you seem like you're a hateful bigot because you don't care about women that were raped or, um, you know, experience or had to go through incest or whatever else the case may be. And so I asked the question, I say, okay, you know, let's say 97% of abortions have nothing to do with rape and incest. And let's say 3% do. All right. Let's say for the sake of argument, this isn't true, but let's say for the sake of argument, I were willing to grant you the 3%. Would you be willing to end the other 97%? And they say, no. And I say, well, then why are we talking about rape and incest? You really don't want to talk about rape and incest. You're using rape and incest as a smokescreen because it's right. your most emotional argument. So that's number one. So clear out the smokescreen. And then number two is I think that rape, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. So I believe that rape in the scriptures, rape was treated very similar to murder. I mm -hmm. think that people that men that rape women and impregnate them ought to be put to death. I think there should be the death penalty for rape. Now, do you agree with me that there should be the death penalty for rape? And if you're talking to a liberal, what do you think they're going to say nine times out of ten? Yeah. No, I don't believe in the death penalty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you think you should have the death penalty for the baby but not for the rapist? That doesn't seem just, right? Um, so that, that, that is a piece of the discussion, or they may say, they may be sort of logically consistent. They say, kill all those guys, you know, or fill in whatever mm -hmm. first word you want to put in there for men who are rapists. And they say, yeah, you ought to kill the rapist. And we say, okay, yes. And amen. We agree. They ought to be put to death by the civil magistrate. That's a huge blind spot in our justice system. But the baby, despite the difficulty with which they were conceived, the baby is a human being created in the image of God, and therefore you cannot kill that baby without just cause for doing so. And what you're going to hear when I do um, when I do apologetics training on this thing, virtually every um, argument that I make hinges on that point. Our worldview depends upon one very simple premise, which is that human beings are created in the image of God, and therefore you can't kill them without just cause. Mm -hmm. That's premise one. Premise two, the babies in the womb are human beings created in the image of God. Premise three, therefore, you can't kill them without just cause. If you want to win the argument with me, you have to be able to challenge one of those first two premises in order to take down the conclusion. And so whatever it is, is the baby in the womb a human being created in the image of God? If they are, then you can't kill them without just cause. Mm -hmm. And so um, so we get a lot. We get the discussion about rape and incest. Um, that comes up a lot because people like um, people like to um, they like to they like to put out the smoke screen. Um, I think that we probably also get a lot of concerns about the life of the mother, um, which is can be a little bit more complicated, but not really. Um, and so usually when we're talking about life of the mother, if it's something like a um, you know if something like a a, um, a baby that implanted in the fallopian tubes, what are we saying that we should do in that situation? Or saying you got two patients, you got a mother and you got a baby. Most of the time, when the baby is discovered in the fallopian tubes, the baby's already passed away, unfortunately. So it's only rare instances where this would actually even come into play. But let, let's say the baby is implanted in the fallopian tubes, right? And you have now you got mother, you got baby, and you got the baby um, implanted. You got the baby implanted in the fallopian tubes. The baby's still alive. What will we say you have to do? Well, you have to treat both the mother and baby as a patient because they're both human beings created in the image of God. So what you want to do is uh, what we would advocate for with our law, what our law would require is they would require the doctor to do everything that the doctor possibly can to save that baby, mm -hmm. which in that case would mean monitoring the baby before you just take the baby out and kill him or her, monitoring the baby and seeing if they move into the womb, which oftentimes will happen without any uh, negative interaction. If it does come to be the case that the the tubes are going to burst and the doctor has to take the baby out prematurely, has to deliver the baby from the fallopian tubes prematurely to keep the mother from dying, that's not even considered an abor abortion by medical by any 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 conceivable medical definition. That's mm -hmm. a life saving. If the mom dies, the baby dies one way or the other. So you leave the baby in as long as you possibly can, and then you deliver the baby at the point that the mom is going to die. That's our idea. Mm -hmm. Same thing with any other one of these situations. You know, the, the aim would be you have a patient that's a mother and a patient that's a baby, and that baby is as much a human being as that mother is. And so we would say that the doctor needs to do everything the doctor possibly can do to save that baby 
with it, it, um, with it all possible. Leave the baby and the mother as long as humanly possible and then deliver the baby and do everything you can to keep the baby alive. That's not an abortion, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's not even medically considered to be an abortion. What about late term abortions? Well, there's you leave the baby and the mother and then you deliver the baby and do everything you can to keep the baby alive. So that's the way that we address that issue. One of the big problems is that people have been discipled to think that the life of the baby is less valuable than the life of the mother. And since the pro-life movement has embraced a very feministic way of thinking as of late, they oftentimes do and say things that reinforce that way of thinking. And one of the things we want to do is explode that way of thinking and say, yes, the life of the mother is important. She's a human being created in the image of God, but the life of the baby is also important because they are a human being created in the image of God. Yeah. Well, one thing too, maybe you can speak on this real quickly as well, um, is I think even in the church as Christians, we have a apathy or a neglect of when we see a child, we recognize child, but when there's that baby in the womb, we don't recognize it as such, even as Christians. I think, yeah. um, I know the, 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 the unbelievers are going to do that as their argumentation, but as Christians, we got to recognize that that life begins at conception. It's life and it shouldn't yeah. be treated any less than life because of the developmental yeah. stages. Yeah, that's so important. And one of the things that we do to really reinforce that message, we do two things. Number one is we have images of fully intact fetuses in the womb. And we'll use those images when we're talking to people and we say, because here's the reality, whether in the church or outside the church, um, and you asked me to answer this quickly, but I think this is important. I'll try to go through it as quickly as I can, but not very many people actually talk about abortion. A lot of people talk about what liberals think about abortion, what conservatives think about abortion. They talk about what Christians think about abortion, what pagans think about abortion. But very few people actually talk about what abortion is. Mm-hmm. What happens when an abortion takes place? And that's one of the things Operation Save America is about is let's talk about what abortion actually is. Here's a picture of a fetus. Is it okay to rip the arms and legs off of this little baby? Right? That's what abortion is. That's what happens when an abortion a woman has an abortion. See the arms? See the legs? An abortion destroys this little baby. So we'll use an in, uh, images of an, an intact fetus and we'll say, hey, look, this is what a baby looks like in the womb. So that people understand we're we are doing the same thing that the slavery, the anti-slavery movement mm-hmm. did when they put the picture up. I can't think of his name now, but the slave that had all those scars mm-hmm. all across his back or Emmett Till's mother did when she published pictures of him being beaten and bloody. Right. when He was murdered by those racist white men. We're doing the same thing with the graphic images. So mm-hmm. that's the second thing that we'll do. We'll have graphic images with abortion victims on them. And people say, oh, I hate those images. Why do you guys have to use those images? And I say, well, A, I hate them too. I right. hate graphic images. Right. I think they're disgusting. I think they're ugly. I never forget the first time I opened an abortion sign here at my house with a graphic image on it. I had gotten a kit from End Abortion Now, and I was taking the signs out. And on one side had a graphic image. My wife saw when I was unloading that sign, she saw the picture of that aborted baby, and she started weeping. That's what a person that doesn't have a seared conscience does when they see a right. dismembered fetus, right? Right. And so that's we take those out into the culture and we say, hey, when we're talking about abortion, this is what abortion is. And we're forcing it's a prophetic message to force people to look at. You say you're for abortion. You're so mad at this sign. This is what you're for. This is what you mm-hmm. say you believe in, right? We're exposing to the world. This is what an intact baby looks like. This is what an aborted baby looks like. And I think that's good for the church much as we Mm -hmm. hate it. It's not the pretty nice thing that we really like so much in American evangelicalism, but it's really good to teach us the truth about what a baby is and what an abortion is. But it's also good for the prophetic message to the world. We need to show them, here's what abortion actually is. And painful and difficult as it is, it's a necessity. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, before we close out, where where can people find information about Operation Save America, yourself, if they would want to reach out? Um, go ahead and give us any and any other things you, you've got coming up. You, you mentioned that Fight Last Feast is having a, a, a conference here in Ohio. Anything you would want to plug and prom, uh, promote, promote out there? Excuse me, I can't speak, but um, out yeah. there for, for people to get involved if, they, if they're able to. Yeah, so you can check out our Facebook page. It's just Operation Save America. 
Um, and the event for Fight Laugh Feast is on there. I don't remember the date. Um, it's the first day of their event. It'd be Wednesday, uh, Thursday. Um, and so we're going to have a team of people out there, and they've invited us to promote that at their event. So their event is at the Creation Museum. So we'll be at the abortion mill there in Cincinnati. I don't know if you've ever been out to that abortion mill before, but um, that's where we're going to be at. And um, I think Jason's trying to pin down some things with some of the locals there. Uh, but we'd love for you guys to join us uh, for that. Um, and then just check out our Facebook page, Operation Save America. Our website is operationsaveamerica.org. You can jump on there and get on our mailing list, uh, our mailing list and our email list. We send out a monthly newsletter. We also send out emails about once a week, if I can stay on top of what I'm supposed to be doing here. We send out emails about once a week, communicating to people different things that are going on. We're also on Instagram. There's Reels. We got an awesome group of young people. If I start naming names, I'll be in trouble. But we got an awesome group of young people that keep those platforms up to date. They're posting video content, Reels, all the time. So you can check those out there. You see what it's actually like at the abortion mm -hmm. mill. Um, so Instagram, we have a Twitter account, which is kind of a weird name. You look for Operation Save America, that's where you'll find us on Instagram. On Twitter, it's like OSA Manhood Restored or something like that. For me, um, you can find me at uh, just type in my name, uh, Darren Stid, D-E-R-I-N-S-T-I-D-D. -D. My parents spelled it kind of weird. So shoot me a friend request on Facebook. You can follow me on Facebook. I'd love to interact with you there. I'm also on Twitter, at uh, uh, Pastor Darren. I'm on Instagram, but that's really for my kids more so than anything mm -hmm. else. So you can follow me on Instagram, but I don't post very much on there. So yeah, love to have the follow, and I'd love to interact with you. If you have any questions, please send me a message. Uh, you can send me an email at info at operationsaveamerica.org. That's, and that's our website, operationsaveamerica.org. Um, you can send me an email that'll come straight to my email account and I'd be happy to interact with you and um, help you in any way that I can. Yeah. Well, thank you again, uh, Pastor Darren, for coming on the program. It's been very uh, enlightened, lightning. It's been uh, insightful. Um, and uh, I, I pray this would be uh, edifying and encouraging uh, and uplifting to people to get involved in this fight against abortion. So thank you again, brother, for coming on the program. Amen. Thank you so much for having me, brother. It was a tremendous blessing and I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, brother. Mm -hmm. All right. That's been G220 Radio for tonight. Uh, we'll be back again next week on Tuesday uh, at 9 p.m. And hope to see you then. God bless and good night.